Warning, Money's Crazy Mind contains language that may not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is advised, but will be completely f- ignored. <laughs> Right to and wrong. Parents pissed off every time I write a song. Smoke crack, push up sitting. What the fuck is that? It's something funny, made for you to laugh at. You're destroying America with your rap. You're so full of shit, I need to call hazmat. The only way I would ever apologize is if I had my face buried in your sister's thighs. Okay, I'm sorry for what it's worth, but the best part of you was the afterbirth. If you can't take a fucking joke, then go jump in the river. Nah, 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 and I fucked your sister. If you can't take a fucking joke, then go jump in the river. Nah, 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 and I fucked your sister. Okay, here we are. One of the final shows of 2023. Proudly here at the Asylum. It is Money's Crazy Mind, and I, of course, am Lee. Too hot to handle, too cold to hold. You call Ghostbusters because they in control. Motherfucking money back with you yet again. We got a lot to get to this week. No time for pleasantries or or funny talk or anything like that. I'm just going to tell you what we got coming up, what's coming up in a couple of weeks, and then we're going to get right into our topics for this week because we got a lot to get to this week. All right. So coming up this week, we are bringing back a little bit of ring rust because we are going to be talking about WWE shopping raw around And they visit with the television home of AEW. CM Punk's first appearance in Cleveland in almost 10 years. And myself and my buddy Mel from the 216 Sports Network and the podcast 4th and 15 have been talking a lot about Sting's final match and who we think his opponent should be. And we give our top six of who we think that should be. And then we're going to get bit by the nostalgia bug. And one of my favorite shows made a return after 14 years. Mr. Monk came back in a television movie that is exclusive to Peacock. Mr. Monk's last case. Is it too little, too late, or is it just in time for us fans of that show, Monk? And then we are going to jump into the TARDIS for the last time, speaking about the Doctor Who 60th anniversary specials with the final episode, The Giggle. Uh, We're also going to talk about Neil Patrick Harris shining as the toy maker, introducing Shuti Gatwa as the next Doctor and looking ahead to the Doctor Who Christmas special 
and the next season of Doctor Who and some of the things that Russell T. Davies had to say about what Doctor Who is going to look like moving forward. Uh, So, after this week, no more weekly shows. We are going to move to a bi-weekly format. And the next time we'll be back on the air will be Wednesday, December 27th, and we will be discussing the Doctor Who Christmas special and what we thought of it and how how different it is from things that we've seen in the past from Doctor Who that we have known uh, under not only Russell T. Davies when he was here before and then obviously Stephen Moffat and then Chris Chibnall um so that is what we got coming up here but like i said uh moving forward bi-weekly shows um potentially into 2024 uh i gotta see what things are gonna look like uh moving forward to see when we're gonna be able to uh do shows if i want to do them weekly or if we're gonna do them bi-weekly um you know that was something that was talked about back uh when we uh returned at the end of October, it was potentially moving to a bi-weekly or maybe even a monthly format. So we got to think about, uh, I need to th- sit down and think about how we're actually going to put all that together. Uh, give a shout out to the sponsors real quick. Nameless Faceless Productions for making sure that this show runs smooth and on time every week. Thank you for that. Uh, no thanks to Microsoft a couple of weeks ago, but that's another story. Uh, and then, of course, Psych Ward for their, their continued use of their music. Obviously, the theme song of the show, Funny Bone. You hear it each and every single week when this show goes live on the air. Uh, also, uh, you know, for bass track in the countdown, uh, Lab of a Madman, the bed that you hear behind me to start the show and end the show. And this week, they are also our break music, and they are giving us their hit from 20, uh, 2005, featuring Smoke. And that is off their second album, Committed. The name of the song is Hatin', and it is the committed version. There is a updated version of that song that came out in 2007. Maybe we'll play that one uh, in, a, in a future show. Uh, so that's everything that, that we have coming up here tonight. We're going to be talking a little Ring Rust. Nostalgia Bug, and of course, we're going to jump into the TARDIS in our main event of the evening. But like I said, welcome in to Money's Crazy Mind. Of course, we've got to give a shout out to Tattoo Therapy, Inc. and the Eerie Art Gallery. Riley Chase and the team over there, some of the best artists in Ohio. They have their Christmas flash sale coming up here very soon. For more information on that, Please check out their Facebook page, Tattoo Therapy Inc. That's I-N-K, because that's obviously what they use. And then, of course, Lisa Summers and the team over at Growing Wings Adult Services. If you or your family has an adult with disabilities and they could use a little bit of assistance or just need somewhere to go throughout the day where they can be with others and have a great day over at the day center, um, then reach out to Lisa and the team over at Growing Wings and they will help you out again i want to thank lisa summers for allowing me to bring growing wings back into the fold here at 
Money is Crazy Mind, part of Nameless Faceless Productions. All right, so like I said, we got a lot to get to, not a lot of chat, uh, the pre-show chat here this week. So let's just go ahead and dive right in. It is time to shake off a little bit more ring rust. All right, so this week in ring rust, WWE was seen shopping Monday Night Raw around to the television home of All Elite Wrestling Warner Brothers Discovery, namely possibly bringing the show to TNT or TBS. Mike Johnson from the Wrestling Observer was one of the first people to break the story, and he's quoted as saying, this past Monday morning, TKO's Mark Shapiro, as well as WWE's Nick Khan and Paul Levesque, that's Triple H, We're in New York City at the Warner Brother Discovery headquarters meeting with Warner Brother Discovery executive Bruce Campbell about potentially moving Raw to the Warner Brother Discovery family. Campbell holds the position of chief revenue and strategy officer. We are told that the WWE contingent met with Campbell for several hours Monday a.m. at least part of the meeting taking place in a conference room usually reserved for David Zaslav. And then to kind of further the sentiments here from Johnson, Ibu at Wrestling Purists said that there are a number or there are uh, whispers that Mark Shapiro, Paul Levesque, and Nick Khan have met with Warner Brothers Discovery at the behest of Warner Brothers themselves. This information leaking is what led to the increased speculation. The argument can be made that Warner Brothers Discovery is simply doing their due diligence as they have a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders to entertain big money offers. It's hard to predict with David Zaslav, though. Retaining the NBA appears to be their top priority, and we'll see how the rest of this shakes out. What I can tell everyone is that the media outlet that ends up getting this story and putting it out in the press release will likely be a prestigious one like the LA Times, ESPN, Wall Street Journal, or something like that. Until then, it'll be silence from WWE and AEW as speculation continues to run rampant. What I find interesting about this is that WrestleTalk and several other wrestling outlets just a couple of weeks ago were reporting that Warner Brothers Discovery was completely out of the talks. That when Nick Khan and Paul Levesque, since we're talking his executive, we'll we'll use his executive name, uh, reached out to them initially that they wanted nothing to do with WWE. They wouldn't return the phone calls. They wouldn't respond to the emails. They wouldn't do anything which led a lot of people to believe that they were still very happy with the product that they were getting from AEW. But now it would appear that maybe the waters are not so clear on the television home of AEW. Now that the contingent from Warner Brothers Discovery have met with WWE. 
WWE being under new ownership themselves, we've seen a lot of television shifting here recently. NWA was originally in a final sign here agreement with CW. That is now out the window, and now NXT is going to the CW. SmackDown is leaving Fox and is now going back to the USA Network in a multi-billion dollar deal. And now WWE is shopping Monday Night Raw. Now, is this just because they, that USA doesn't want to dedicate two nights of television a week to wrestling? Or is it just that they only want to have one wrestling show on the product? That's always a possibility. Or USA is also still in the running to keep Monday Night Raw. As it's been noted for a, a couple of weeks now, the front runner to land Monday Night Raw is in fact FX. If that is still the case, we don't know. But there all, has also been talk about them potentially moving to Netflix or a streaming service. We don't know. There are so many people that are in the, in, in the gunning to gain Monday Night Raw. We just simply do not know what that answer is at this moment. But what does this mean for AEW? Well, there are some in the wrestling media that think that if Monday Night Raw does move to either TNT or TBS, I'm guessing that if WWE was going to move their flagship program, they would hope it would end up on the flagship program or network, I should say, of Warner Brothers Discovery, and that's TNT, which means Rampage would need a new home. And WWE even said, if we're going to move this, and I only know this from a fact because they've done it in the past, that if Raw were to move to Warner Brothers Discovery, they would be the only wrestling program on Warner Brothers Discovery. Which would mean AEW would need to find a new television home. Now, obviously, this has happened to Impact Wrestling multiple times over the years, ever since they got sacked by Spike years ago, which is now the Paramount Network. But it wouldn't be the first time that we've heard of WWE sneaking in behind the scenes and working out a television deal with a network that already had a wrestling product. In the late 90s, ECW got their first national television deal on TNN, which then became Spike which then became the Paramount Network. WWE took Raw off USA back then, and they wanted to move it to TNN. And of course, they had the deal then too. If we're on your network, we're your only wrestling program on your network. Even though they had already worked into a deal with Paul Heyman and ECW. A deal that they were now in violation of even speaking to WWE. So this wouldn't, wouldn't be surprising to me that WWE is doing something like this. And that they wouldn't want AEW off those networks. Now there is talk out there from the Warner Brothers Discovery side that if Raw moves to either TNT or TBS, that the AEW programming would then move to Discovery. 
you know, when I was a kid, Discovery was all nature documentaries and Shark Week. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I would feel if I ended up seeing wrestling on the Discovery Channel. But stranger things have happened. We, we did have wrestling on the Sci-Fi Network. So this is a, it was a very interesting story, especially hearing just a week ago that they were out of the running. And now all of a sudden they're meeting with, uh, with Triple H and Nick Khan and TKO Entertainment. What I also find very interesting is that TKO Entertainment's parent company, Endeavor, which also owns UFC, is also working out a deal with Impact Wrestling to do TNT, uh, TNA+, Plus, which is going to be a streaming network similar to the WWE Network. So a, a lot of like bed sharing here with multiple wrestling companies under one banner, and that's Endeavor. So is there a possibility that we might actually see a three-brand contingency here where all three brands work together in some way, AEW, TNA, and WWE? It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. But what could this mean for AEW if they decide not to move them to discovery. Well, then that would just mean that they're in the same boat that, that impact has been in the past few years. They haven't officially changed their name back to TNA. So I'm going to respect them and call them impact until July, January 5th, when they move back to the name TNA wrestling. And, you know, they finally found a home on access TV, but I can tell you right now, Access TV doesn't get the exposure that a TNT or a TBS does or that a Paramount Network did. So WWE stepping into AEW's territory, it's strategic and it's something that I wouldn't put past WWE because they've done it before to ECW, but they've also done it before to WCW. When Vince started bringing WWF wrestling to TBS on Saturday night. Bet you guys didn't know that. You can go ahead and watch the, the rise and fall of WCW over on the WWE network. And see what I'm talking about for myself. Now this next piece is just an opinion piece. Uh, that we're going to be talking about here on Ring Rust. But. Obviously, if you guys watched Raw this past Monday night, it was in my hometown of Cleveland, Ohio, and the voice of the voiceless returned for the first time since he walked out on the WWE 10 years ago. So CM Punk was back in Cleveland, and he actually had a lot of interesting things to say. That back when he was having a tryout with the WWE, he had walked out hand-in-hand with Mickey James and then they basically sent him down to Kentucky to go to OVW. And then the next time he's in Cleveland, he gets kicked in the face so hard by Randy Orton, he had to drop the World Heavyweight Championship that night, and he didn't even realize it until he woke up several hours later. And then, of course, there's the infamous Raw 
10 years ago where he was listed to be in the main event. And a 28-year-old Lee Money was in the audience that night anticipating and waiting to see the Savior back then come out and do what he needed to do. And then right before they started all the dark matches and the main events and, and you know all the, the TV shows that they had back then that were WWE Network exclusives by that point, they made the announcement that CM Punk is not here and that he will not be appearing on WWE anymore. And I kind of just went, what the fuck? And Punk, obviously, he's under a, a lawsuit where he's not allowed to speak about a lot of those events anymore. And he's also not allowed to speak about his appearance on Colt Cabana's podcast either because of that lawsuit. But for me, hearing that he actually did apologize for missing that appearance 10 years ago, it, it's, it's a little just bit of a sugar-coated I'm sorry. He also talked about a fan who said that they were here 10 years ago the night that he was supposed to be here. And it is kind of funny that it was almost 10 years to the day that Raw returned to Cleveland with CM Punk. I kind of agree with Bully, Bully Ray on this. And Bully Ray had a lot to say about this particular promo and every promo that Punk has done since he's been back. Where he says he keeps saying that he's home. But yeah, this is a home that he badmouthed, bitched about, and ran into the ground for multiple years and even accused them of sending him his termination papers on his wedding day. Now, I'm not defending WWE and anything that happened in that situation because I believe that there's obviously two sides to every story and that Punk said his side of the story and WWE kind of gave their side of the story when they interviewed not only Vince McMahon but Triple H on the Stone Cold podcast and they both spoke about the situation of, of Punk's departure and part of that being his termination papers being delivered the day of him and apes uh, wedding wwe claims they had no knowledge that that was the case but obviously you would think aj lee april needed the same day off and she obviously i would hope she put down on the request off slip um wedding my wedding to the guy you treated like crap. You know, and you would think that AJ would have had conversations with, with the WWE as well. Like, why did you send those papers to Phil on our, on our wedding day? That was kind of rude. Because she actually stuck around in WWE for a few years after Punk left. But having Punk back in Cleveland and having him, you know, setting up such a large match declaring himself for the Royal Rumble and stating that he's probably going to end up at WrestleMania facing Seth Rollins for that particular championship is a bold statement, especially considering that Cody Rhodes said he was going to do the same thing, but he's coming after Roman Reigns. Now, if it were me, I'd actually flip that booking. And here's where I'm going to give CM Punk a little bit credit. I know I've been kind of shooting hard at Mr. Punk since he returned to the WWE. But here's where I'm going to give Punk a little bit of credit. Yes, Cody Rhodes needs to finish the story, and it, that story should have been finished two years ago. 
But I personally do think that the voice of the voiceless and Roman Reigns should be the match that happens at WrestleMania. Here's why. Exactly what Punk said. I used to have a wise man too. If you have the original OG Paul Heyman guy, the guy that invented the phrase Paul Heyman guy, taking on the tribal chief with his wise man, Paul Heyman, that would make for some great WrestleMania television. Think about this. Paul turns on Roman and he sides with Punk again. And then you know they're talking about doing this weird heel turn with Punk, which obviously I think they should do because this happy-go-lucky, I'm sorry, I fucked up, Punk is actually starting to get a little bit of an, uh, of an annoyance to me because I don't believe any of it. And I don't think there's a lot of people out there that do, including Bully Ray. Like he said, you dogged that place for how many years? But then also, in his promo, he then decides to dog the, the incident that happened at AEW. Instead of WWE taking the high road and sitting there saying, hey, look, we know that that obviously happened and that obviously played a factor in, in your return here and, and so on and so forth, but let's not speak about that. They didn't. They let him. And so there it is. But I still think Punk versus Roman would be the better match at WrestleMania and then have Cody versus Seth. The story still gets finished. It just doesn't get finished against Roman Reigns. I just think that the Paul Heyman aspect of it is something that they need to play into. Have Heyman turn on Roman, go back to Punk, and then in the same in the same breath, the next night on Raw, you have Paul present Punk with the title, and then Punk sit there and be like, dude, I don't need your voice anymore. I'm the voice of the voiceless. You were the voice of the voice of the voiceless, but I don't need you anymore. And then you're going to have Paul turn on Punk by having Punk take on Brock Lesnar. You now have six months of storylines building up all of that. And Paul closing a lot of the chapters in his career too. He's now closing the chapter with Punk. He closed the chapter with Roman. And then he can close the chapter with Brock. And then if he wants to ride off into the sunset and be the man who's done some of the best promos in the last 15 years, go for it, Paul. You deserve it. You definitely deserve it. To end out this segment, I'm just going to have to I'm going to say this, and I'm sure it might upset a lot of people, but I've never forgiven CM Punk for leaving WWE. I've never forgiven CM Punk for saying a lot of the things that he said about WWE. Do I believe some of the things he said about WWE? Yes, because the 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 business was very toxic back then. And we know that. The evidence was there in the Chris Benoit murder case. The evidence has been there in the way that they, like the NFL, have been covering up concussion damages. There's a lot of examples of the time of times when the WWE has been way more guilty about things than they will ever let on. 
But I also don't think it's fair to sit there and just not even tell your fans, hey, I'm sorry, but I'm doing this because it's, the bene it's a benefit to my health and it's a benefit to what I need to do. And then it completely bitch out the, comp the, the business itself. Not just the WWE, but to sit there and say the professional wrestling itself is toxic and I never really wanted to do it to begin with. But yeah, you were one of the greatest things in the, in the original Ring of Honor. And now to come back and claim that this has been home and that you have missed it and that you had to come back. Every, I mean, it, anybody with two eyeballs and a pair of ears can hear, hear and see right through that. It was never home to you because you said the same thing in AEW when you went there. I belong here. This is a much better situation. But then you go back and you say, I'm home. And it's nothing but hugs, kisses, and, and handshakes. When clearly there are quite a few people that are backstage at WWE that do not want you there. So I'm just hoping that this whole narrative thing, now that Punk has decided what brand he wants to be on, which is Monday Night Raw, that they can just scrap this whole nice guy routine with CM Punk because all they're doing is pandering to the CM Punk fans and then they're going to screw them all when he turns heel because I definitely think that that's going to happen. But that's all I got to say about Punk and his return to Cleveland. Just stop. Stop trying to baby all the, all the fans that have been fans for longer than five minutes. But in my final take that I want to do this week, who should AEW book if they're the ones that get to book Sting's final match? Now, this is a topic that me and my buddy Romel Thorpe over at uh, 216 Sports Network and the podcast 4th and 15 have been talking about for about a month or so now. We've been bouncing ideas off of each other, and I said, hey, do you mind if I give your top six on the show this past this week? And he goes, no, absolutely not. Go ahead. So I have his top six. I have my top six. My top six is a little bit different because as of right now, this match is being booked by AEW, and it's being booked by AEW very he heavily. We don't know who Sting's opponent is going to be, though. All we know is that Sting is planning on retiring and that there is going to be a final match. The one person that I know, both Mel and I are both sitting there saying, please do not let it be this person, is Ric Flair. Because then that would still be AEW doing everything they could to try to make their show look more like Monday Nitro. The final match, the main event... On the very final Monday Nitro before WWE took possession of WCW was Ric Flair versus Sting. I saw it that night. I don't need to see it again. And that is not an insult to Ric Flair. That is clearly not an insult to Sting. Sting is the reason I am a wrestling fan. But Rick ain't got it no more. And it's, it's a stale, dried-up match. They've had how many matches against each other over the decades? And I, I, I actually think, if I'm remembering correctly, and you know, please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong out there. I do forget things every once in a while. I apologize about that. Um, 
But I do think that maybe even on the very first Nitro, there was a Ric Flair versus Sting match. But for me, I looked at it like this. Currently, Sting is under contract to AEW. AEW is the company that is currently promoting this Sting's final match. And I am going to be looking on my other computer screen here so that I can see the names on my list and Mel's list. And I will be looking back at the camera as soon as I read the name and what I'm going to say about that person. And I want to do this a little bit backwards. The one person, the, the main person, my number one is going to be last. My number six is going to be first. And then once I do my one to six, I'm going to give my honorable mention as well. And then we'll do the same for Mel. And Mel actually got a little creative with the way that I did with his, with the way he did his. I did mine based on the current roster at AEW. Since that is where Sting is currently under contract. So for me, my number six, if this was going to be a pass the torch match, who better? then Sting to pass the torch to in AEW than the man currently holding the AEW World Heavyweight Championship, Michael Jacob Friedman, MJF. Now, obviously, MJF is going to have to lose this match, but it, the title wouldn't be on the line. This would just be Icon versus Future. And I think that this would be a great way for AEW to sit there and announce, okay, the past is now passing the torch on to the future. A man who helped build a lot of careers in WCW is now passing the torch on to the future of the business, AEW and beyond, by giving the nod to our current champion, MJF, in a very similar manner to what they did with The Rock versus John Cena. Or actually, I'm uh, Hogan Rock, if you want to look at it that way. This could be like a Hogan Rock situation as well. And then, you know, he's, you know, uh, Sting's been doing a lot of stuff with Darby Allen recently. And I figured, you know, if they don't want to put him up against Darby Allen himself, why not put him up? against somebody who's been in the business a long time can still work regardless of all the issues that this man has had in his past. And actually I think could put on a, a pretty decent battle with the stinger, but Jeff Hardy. And you can even have, you can even use that as like a stepping stone for a Darby Allen versus Jeff Hardy in the future. And that's why I keep saying there's a lot of going to be passing the torch kind of stuff here. But I, I was also looking at who's on the current AEW roster that I think would put up a good match against Sting. A match that's going to be entertaining. A match that I think would be pay-per-view caliber. And a match that is deserving of Sting's final match. Jeff Hardy. Very similar way to, to, to the way WCW was using Sting was the way that uh, WWE was using the Hardy Boys with their tag team division in the in the early 2000s. 
and also you know the face paint gimmick there, there's all that other stuff but i just think that this would be a great way to kind of do since we never really got an official wwe versus wcw kind of thing even though the nwo did come out during the sting triple h match and then the dx came out during that match but i mean it was sting triple h it didn't make sense because triple h got his start in wcw i wanted it to be homegrown wcw homegrown wwe and obviously there's one person who would have fit that bill and it's the one person that everybody wanted to see sting go up after but for some reason it never got to happen Next up, and I put this one on here because, you know, if they do want to try to go the route of like a Sting versus Ric Flair, one of the greatest things that I saw in TNA was Jay Lethal imitating Ric Flair. And now that they're both working together now again in AEW, I think it would be great. Rick is out there saying, let me take on the stinger one last time. Woo, we can sell pay-per-views. We can do this. We can do that. And then have Jay Lethal's music hit. Jay Lethal comes out, and he's wearing his best Ric Flair knockoff suit. He's out there. He's doing the strut. He's doing everything the way that he did back in the old TNA days. And have Jay Lethal beg Ric Flair for him to be his proxy. Let Jay Lethal go in there and do his best Jay Lethal Ric Flair impression because that was beautiful the way that they did it back in, in TNA and have Sting take on Jay Lethal on behalf of Ric Flair. I Personally, I think it would be fantastic. You, know, you can have Rick out there on the side, you know, saying, you're not doing this right and you're not doing that right. You need to be more like the Nate and you need, you know, and just just have it that way. Personally, I think it would be it would be great, and I think it's something that fans might actually get a kick out of because it would kind of be Sting versus Rick, but it wouldn't be Rick; it would be Jay Lethal. Next on the list, I talked about this guy a little bit earlier on when I mentioned Jeff Hardy as a potential opponent for Sting's final match, and that is Darby Allen himself. We can have Darby go to Sting and say, you've been instrumental in helping me build my career since you've been here in AEW. Let me return the favor and let me, let me be your final match. And then again, it's another little bit of a passing the torch op opportunity for Sting to pass the torch to Darby Allen. And not that Darby really needs that much help in AEW. Darby's been one of the mainstays of, of AEW and one of the more entertaining characters in AEW. So, I mean, Darby doesn't really need the push. But I just think because these two have been paired up since Sting got to AEW, it would kind of just be like a fitting end to that particular story. And now here we get into the top two on my list. The first one is just because these two would have a really good match. And given the kind of character that, that this person is right now in AEW, it would kind of fit. And that's Brian Danielson. The American Dragon. 
Daniel Bryan for those from the WWE days. And Daniel Bryan was there when Sting was in WWE, and he was dealing with the authority just about as bad as Sting was dealing with the authority. So this will kind of been, you scratched my back, now I'm going to scratch yours and, you know, return the favor by giving you a phenomenal final match, kind of blah, 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 blah. Obviously, you know, don't really need a passing of the torch here because Brian Danielson is, is, is a made talent. But the number one that I think that th- could be based on the current roster of AEW. And that's Chris Jericho. Obviously, these two have history. They've both been in WCW with each other. And these two would just put on a phenomenal five-star match, in my opinion. And I just think this is the best option. And it's just because these two have the amount of history that they have. They're around the same age. They're from the same generation, just about. And they would put on a phenomenal match worthy of being on pay-per-view worthy of being Sting's final match. And it's an opponent that is at least deserving of being on Sting's final match. Not to say that the other people that I mentioned are not worthy because obviously I put them on this list, but I do think that Chris Jericho being as how he is currently on AEW's roster would be my number one pick for Sting's final match. And then I put on here as an honorable mention, Adam Copeland. Why? Because he's Adam fucking Copeland. That's why. And because I do think that if he would be willing to do Sting's final match, that Sting would would be like, you're Adam Copeland. Okay, let's go. And then, you know, obviously, you know, you could try to screw Adam out of it in a a little bit of a way if they want to continue on the storyline with him and Christian, which obviously I think they're going to. And just kind of take it from there. But now here we have uh, Rome's top six. And I'll kind of give some of the reasons that he gave here in our conversation. Um, I did offer him to come on, but he was busy. So didn't get or else we. But there might be um, a possibility in the future that we'll deep dive this a little bit more. Once it gets down closer to that time. And we'll do that with the 216 Sports Network. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but he obviously has, and, and we'll go, I don't know in what order he has these people, um, but I'll just put it from where he has them on his list, and we'll make that six to one. We'll do it the exact same way I did mine. So the number six that he has on here is Kurt Angle, and that would actually be a really good match as well. Kurt Angle is obviously deserving of it. He's got a long enough career. And it's somebody that's a free agent that's not really doing anything with WWE or Impact Wrestling or you know any other wrestling company for that matter. So they, it's somebody that that AEW would be able to get their hands on, and I'm sure he'd love to do it. Uh, next up, it's a homegrown talent from AEW, and that's Brian Pillman Jr. And obviously, we all know the history of Brian Pillman, and obviously his son carrying that lineage on. And I think that would definitely be a great passing the torch opportunity to a young up-and-coming superstar like Brian Pillman Jr. Next up, you put on here the great Muda. You know, if Muda would come out of retirement and and you know lay down the WWE Hall of Fame ring, why not, right? 
You know, I mean, Great Muda and Sting, obviously they got into the business around the same time. Uh, you know, Japan versus WCW, that was a thing back in the in the early 90s. It, it would be a great match for sure. Here's one that I kind of sat there and went, eh. like, I, I know why he's on the list and I get why he's on the list and everything like that, but, eh. and that's Hulk Hogan. Obviously, these two have a long history back in WCW and even before that in the AWA and even a little bit in WWE, but Hogan has just been out of the game for so long. He's been complaining that his back is shot and, and everything like that. We might get one or two leg drops out of Hogan, and then he's going to fucking die in the middle of the ring. Not something I really want to see. And then he actually has in the number two spot Chris Jericho as well. Obviously, you know we're thinking alike on that match. But then his number one, and, th and this is the one that I that I was alluding to before, and that's The Undertaker. Do I think The Undertaker would ever do anything outside of WWE? No. So for in order for the, in order for this match to happen, Sting would need to leave AEW and go to WWE for one final match and have it be against The Undertaker. And obviously a match like that would have to happen at WrestleMania. Would I be against it? Fuck no. Ever since that 12-part uh, special, The Monday Night War, came out on WWE Network, it's something I've wanted to see since day one. And when I talked about a, a, a true WCW workhorse talent versus a true WWE workhorse talent, that's obviously the match I'm talking about. These two were the two that were raising the banner so fucking high for their brands back in the original Monday Night War. And I think that that would be a fitting match and a great match for Sting's final match. Will it happen? I doubt it because, like I said, this, this thing has been getting build like crazy by AEW, but we'll see what ends up happening with that. But everybody else on this list, I mean, they obviously they already have Pillman Jr. and Jericho on their rosters, but I mean, Muda, they have a chance of getting because of their relationship with New Japan. Angle, you know, he's a free agent. He's not doing anything with anybody. Hogan, they can probably make that happen, but Hogan's another one that might see like, hey, if we're going to do that, we're going to do it in WWF, brother. Uh, and then his honorable mention, obviously, he was just kind of joking around with this, but, you know, it'd be kind of funny. And that was Chuck Norris. Uh, but those are our picks, man. Those are our picks as to why we who we think should be Sting's final opponents. And uh, let us know what you guys think. You can send them over either to the 216 Sports Network or you can send them over here at the Money's Crazy Mind Facebook page. Give us your takes on who you think should be Sting's final opponent in his retirement match all right originally we were going to do uh nostalgia bug before we go to break uh but we're going to cut the break here a little bit early and when we come back we will do nostalgia bug talking about mr monk's last case and then we will close it out with doctor who 60s anniversary parts three the giggle we'll be right back here on money's crazy mind and this is psych ward No, it is not. That is CM Punk. This is Psych Ward. 
Cleveland kills and we stand united Just riled up, we're starting to fightin' Had some beef squashed in the past Now we're back to kick some ass Never seen a party we couldn't rock Got to have a sea town ride, not jock Throwing blows and splitting wings Sick of people talking that bullshit Y'all bitches don't wanna step to me I'll kill you and your family I bet you wish never heard of me Mr. Sick up in this bitch Steady spitting wicked shit Rockin' shows and killing hoes Bitch, step up, we'll throw them bows Throw them bows, throw them bows the what you hate what 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 I hate in this for the fame so don't waste my time playing them games he says she said I don't give a fuck just wanna hear this rattling trucks don't start none penis in the best for last sight with a smoke and it kicks some ass talk smack don't make me laugh bitch but it's not what you say white trash you would never last Now I'm back to whoop your ass Run your mouth and talk your shit I don't see y'all making hits Been four years, now I'm standing strong All our enemies are coming gone Now we're united like family Sit back and let the hydro creep The what you hate what? 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 Stand on your throat till you take your last breath Take my foot off just to watch it catch yourself Learn your lesson, I stand my ground So watch your back when you come to my town 2 to the 16, I get creepy when I see green So hide your stash when you see me creeping through your back door Smoking psych work, you know you don't want no drama So quit your fucking hit and step up, get like a fuck out Yeah, for Cleveland's most wanted Smoking psych work, smashing that drama So fuck all y'all wanna start that shit, bitch Bitch, bitch, bitch you the what you hate what? 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 If you wanna talk shit, then talk shit, better watch. When you fucking what, bitch, trying to start shit, get your lips flicked quick. If you wanna draw shit, then you better draw big, bitch. You don't want no pop with a hot one, look. If you fucking drop with a shotgun, it's fine when I spit it, cause I flow with a hot tongue. Better nut up, but these bitches ain't got none. Hit them in the middle, cause they so less, oh yes. Mugging with a face, but you know that they won't. Like smoking in the river belly up with a broke neck. Smoking cycle or flipping skirts with the whole check. Oh yes, don't test, no peace, your rest. You're fucked up, no breath, your chest in pieces. Y'all can't touch us. The what you hate what? 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 Oh wow, that sounds that sounds really great. Wow, that sounds like a really good deal. Who are you talking to? Uh, the Northeast Ohio Ghostbusters. Hello, Northeast Ohio Ghostbusters. What are you wearing? Uh, khakis. Well, that sounds hideous. Well, they're Ghostbusters. You can always find the audio edition of Money's Crazy Mind over on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, CastBox, Amazon Music, Radio Public, and of course, we have just added Apple Podcasts and iHeart Radio. 
You can always check out the Money's Crazy Mind website powered by PodPage at podpage.com forward slash monies dash crazy dash mind. Let's journey back into the asylum. All right, here we go. Part two of the show here. Thank you again to Psych Ward for letting us play Hayton. The 2005 version from their second album, Committed. You can always catch all of Psych Ward's great music over on their YouTube channel, Psych Ward, all one word, 216. And we are back with the episode I affectionately refer to as Mr. Monk Giggles while cleaning up ring rust welcome back into the show everybody and like i said before the break we are going to get bit by the nostalgia bug here and mr monk himself is the reason why so let's go ahead and get right into it right now let's get bit by the nostalgia bug All right, so this week on the Nostalgia Bug, we are talking about the Peacock original movie, Mr. Monk's Last Case. It's a different world, and he fits in perfectly now. Obviously, this is a post-COVID look at Monk. Now, for those of you that may not be familiar with the television show Monk, Monk was a, uh, a detective, a former San Francisco police officer, who suffers from obsessive compulsive disorder. And after the death, the murder of his wife, I should say, he was uh, removed on a psychiatric discharge from the San Francisco police department, but continued to work with them for the next um, 11 years. I think is what they said was the time frame uh, between season one and the final season, season eight. Um, as a consultant for the police department, working with his former captain, Captain Leland Stottlemyre, played by the great Ted Levine, um, and um, Rand, uh, Lieutenant Randy Disher. Um, for a while, Biddy Schram was his assistant, Sharona. She was replaced by uh, uh, Trailer. I can't remember her last name. Let me bring this up here real quick because I have the cast of the movie so that I could mention um, some of the newcomers that were brought, mentioned, brought into the movie. Uh, Trailer Howard was Natalie Teeger. Uh, Jason Gray Stanford played Randy Disher. Um, and uh, Hector Elizondo played his second psychiatrist, originally played by Stanley Camel, uh, who passed away while filming of the show was going on. Um, and Stanley Campbell was Dr. Kroger. Hector Elizondo is Dr. Nevin Bell. Obviously, Ted Levine played Captain Stottlemyre. Biddy Schramm played Sharona. Um, and, you know, they were solving cases week after week. Uh, you know, obviously a ton of guest stars coming on to the, into the show. Um, and then finally, he solved 
in the final two episodes of the show, he solved the the murder of his wife. And it was uh, perpetrated by a judge who was played by Craig T. Nelson. Apparently, uh, his wife, Trudy, who also makes an appearance in the film, uh, played by Melora Hardin uh, yet again, um, had an affair with this ju- with this uh, judge who was back then a law professor in college and got pregnant. And then when he was running to become a judge in the election, he was trying to cover up the fact that this illicit affair happened and killed the midwife who helped Trudy deliver the baby and then also murdered Trudy because he was afraid that she was going to say something about it as well. And after Monk solved the case, he discovered that Trudy's daughter that she had back in that time was still alive. And he became friends with her. Her name is Molly, and she's played by Caitlin McGee. So now we catch up with Monk 14 years later. Obviously, a lot of things have changed. Not only about Monk, but about the world. Now, everybody is using hand sanitizer like crazy. Everybody is using wipes. Everybody's wearing masks. Things that Monk did that people used to find strange, but are now pretty commonplace and in the world post-COVID-19. So, Monk is trying to help Molly pay for her wedding. And he has been working on a book deal for 10 years, talking about some of his most famous cases. Because Monk is Monk, and he can't just talk about his cases outright he has to throw in his little idiosyncrasies and the the movie actually opened with a flashback to monk's very first episode the candidate and you know it's monk and sharona standing in the kitchen and monk's talking about his stove and how he's worried that it wasn't turned off properly and you know sharona's reminding him i turned it off i checked it blah 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 And then you hear a voiceover from Monk himself, and he's talking about the fact that Sharona was always right, and blah, 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 and that she had his best interest in heart. And then he starts talking about the stove and how he bought it in 1985. It had two recalls, one for this, one for that, and da-da-da-da-da. And then you hear the book editor, and she's basically just like, look, you know, we've been waiting for this book for 10 years. You are now on breach of contract. We're going to want the money back. And he goes on to try to say that, you know, how he was going to help Molly pay for her wedding using that money and so on and so on. Uh, The one thing that kind of uh, upset me a little bit about this was, you know, you had everybody come back. Ted Levine was back. Jason Gray Stanford came back. Trailer Howard came back. uh, Caitlin McGee came back. I mean, you even had Hector Elizondo come back as Dr. Nevin Bell, which obviously we knew that was going to need to happen because it's Monk, right? And I kept looking at like cast pictures and things that, that that Peacock was releasing. And nowhere in any of these cast pictures do I see Biddy Stram, which is really interesting that they didn't bring her back because she married not the actress herself, but her character Sharona ended up marrying uh, Randy Disher and they moved to New Jersey together. And, I mean, they do kind of mention a little bit where she's taking care of their grandson because um, uh, Sharona's son, Benji, had a kid. 
Um, but for me, it was a little disconcerting that we didn't get to see Sharona come back. And they actually spoke to uh, Monk's creator, uh, Andy Brickman, and asked him why. And he, in an interview with uh, Entertainment Weekly, he gives that answer. And obviously, Sharona does appear in the Monk movie, but only in a flashback. Mr. Monk's last case, a Monk movie, opens with a flashback to the very first episode of the series. Mr. Monk and the Candidate. Mr. Monk's last ca- uh, case opening sequence was part of a larger storyline that saw Monk trying to get a book about his career published, but it served as a clever way to honor Sharona's role in the original series, according to Monk creator. And he adds that Andy Breckman, who also wrote the movie, they had, they had to be a little selective as they would only have 90 minutes to tell the story. And again, that was from Entertainment Weekly uh, talking about why she did not return in the movie. Now, what do I think overall about the film? I loved it. I thought this movie was, you know, perfect. Tony Shalhoub as uh, Adrian Monk, he stepped right back into his role as Monk. And it's like we never missed a beat with him on any of this. The story was phenomenal. Um, The one thing for me that was a little shocking was that they got pretty... They got pretty fucking dark with one of the things that happened in the movie and it's definitely something that you know i myself have suffered with in the past and you know i i can completely understand why they would include it in this and it's also something that monk as a character has kind of suffered with in you know in the original series in episodes there there's been talk of monk potentially wanting to do something like this but it was kind of shocking to see seeing as how like and for a while when you're watching the film, you get a sense that, like, holy shit, they might actually end it like this. And you start to get very emotional, and you're just kind of like, okay, are they actually going to do this? Um, and th- there's this underlying storyline of Monk trying to end his life you know and you can kind of tell that he feels abandoned by stottlemyre he feels abandoned by disher he feels abandoned by abandoned by sharona he feels abandoned by natalie he feels abandoned by all these people that have constantly been in his life and there's actually this really emotional scene between him and dr bell where you know they're discussing uh, a few things and Monk just keeps staring off into the distance. And Dr. Bell's asking him, he's like, is Trudy here with you? Trudy, uh, Monk's wife, is Trudy here with you right now, Adrian? And he's just staring at this couch. And obviously we have this, and we've seen that many times in, in the in the Monk show as well. This, this you know, white-dressed vision of Trudy. And she's having conversations with, with Adrian. This has happened a couple of times throughout the history of the show. So it's no surprise that they would want to do that here as well, being as how it's one of Monk's um, 
sort of phobias. Um, but I did, I, I really dug this movie quite a bit. I appreciated the dark nature of it. And the, the cool thing for me was being a fan of the show. This is one thing that I've always wanted to see because they've done three with psych, you know? So what, you know, I, I just kept thinking about it. I'm just like, man, you know, it, Friday nights on USA, you know, speaking of the USA network, um, used to be monk at nine psych at 10, you know? So why couldn't we, and, and that was kind of the other thing too. Like they, they always used to do like, t like commercials where you would see monk and, um, Sean, James Roday's character from Psych, interacting with each other. And, you know, like Monk keeps saying, like, you know, 10's a nice round number. You know, you know, why don't you guys move to nine and then I take 10 and blah, blah, blah. So there's been like this interaction between the two of them in the past. And you can actually go way back into the audio archive of this show long, long time ago. And I break down what I thought would have been the perfect Monk and Psych crossover film and i think that that might actually still be a possibility i would still love to see that but now that we have have had this movie uh where monk is kind of you know kind of ending his career but they left it open for a sequel they left it very wide open for a sequel and i mean we do know that um you know Chief Vic, Juliet, Sean and Gus are living in San Francisco because they have Psych Francisco. <laughs> um, and, you know, you even hear at the end of the first Psych movie that, you know, San Francisco has its own quirky detective and that they don't really, they may not need the, the services of Sean and Gus. So there's always been this kind of tease that there could be this team up between Sean and Gus and Monk. And I would love to see that happen. Seeing as just how OCD Monk gets and, and how well Tony Shalhoub plays off that, that OCD character and how goofy Sean and Gus are and how loose and, and things like that and constantly having to have snacks and, you know, they show up to the crime scene with all kinds of weird snacks and things like that. I just think it would be great because, like, instead of Monk concentrating on the case, he's cleaning up after Sean and Gus. You know, I, I personally, I just think it would be be a fun thing. And hopefully we do get to see a second Monk movie. Now, this is currently ranked as a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. And that's huge for me. Because I wasn't sure how people were going to go about this being that it's 14 years later. But Monk fans are loving it. It is definitely a love letter to what this show was. It's the first time that we've seen these characters in a full aspect in 14 years. Now, there was the little uh, Monk in quarantine thing that they did during the COVID-19 pandemic. Where they kind of got together and you know, we're replaying their characters. And again, that was just Natalie Stottlemyre, Disher and Monk too. And like, you know, so either, either there's some kind of heat between Andy Breckman and Biddy Schram 
or she's just done playing the character of Sharona. But, I mean, with them saying that they only had 90 minutes and they couldn't fit her in, I mean, she has come back because there was a contractual dispute, which is why she left the show originally in the fourth season to begin with. But she had come back a few times after that. Like, she, I mean, she came back and did the episode where her uncle died. Uh, and I and she came back for the final episodes too, when Disher was moving to New Jersey. So Biddy Shram has come back to Monk in the past. So I would love to see her come back in the next movie and kind of just have more of that dynamic between her and Natalie and Monk. And you know, I know that they said that Natalie's character is married now. She married um uh I can't remember the name the she was uh seeing the the navy guy uh that she was talking to that was friends with her husband uh when Mr. Monk in the submarine um and I know he he was a pretty big name actor back at the time I just it's losing my mind I'm lost my mind right now again you know people forget sometimes and I'm I'm guilty of it just as bad as everybody else is um but some of the new characters that were brought into the Monk movie, Rick Eden plays, or uh, Rick Eden played by James Purefoy, uh, is kind of like a Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk kind of character. He owns a shopping website, but uses the money to make toys for himself. And the toy in this movie was actually a rocket that he's going to use to orbit the Earth. Um, and then we bring in Austin Scott playing Griffin Briggs which is Molly's fiance. And he ends up being the victim here. And this is the case, the final case that monk has to solve. There was also a brilliant, brilliant cameo by the ultra hilarious and just great actor, Richard kind. Um, I loved him as Paul Lasseter, on Spin City as the, the the city press secretary and and just the the crazy things that he did on that show, uh, in in this cameo appearance he plays a funeral director, but twice because he he plays identical twins, and just the way that you know they're finishing each other's sentences and the the technology that they use to put Richard Kind in the scene twice, flawless. I I'm I'm literally looking like. Does this dude actually have a fucking twin? Like, but I mean, according to IMDB, it's Richard Kind as funeral director, brother one and brother two. And I'm like, what? That was seamless and flawless, like perfectly well done. And I just, you know, the the dark tone with the monk suicide angle you know, bringing Trudy into the, the entire story and having it be about Molly, um, you know, somebody that obviously Monk cares very much about. And, you know, you got Natalie and you've got Stottlemyre. Well, not so much Stottlemyre, but you've got Disher trying to convince Mike Monk to look into this case for Molly. And Monk keeps sitting there saying, I got plans. I don't have time to get involved in this right now. And then you have, you know, obviously Trudy sitting here saying like, this is for Molly. Like you can take your time with this. You don't need to, to solve this very quickly. Have it take 10 years. Cause even Trudy is trying to convince Monk not to do what he wants to do. And 
at the end of the movie, after everything's wrapped up, there was such a emotional moment. And the way that they decided to close this movie out was just a gut punch in, in a way. And, and a good gut punch, not a bad gut punch. I know the look on my face is a little deceiving, but because I was just thinking about it, I'm just like, that was an emotional, just, here you go. Here's how we're ending the movie. And like I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it again. And oh my God, it was just a phenomenal way to end this movie. If you've ever been a fan of the show, Monk, check out the movie. There's even a brand new Randy Newman song in this thing, okay? And that's saying something. And like I said, they left it wide open for a sequel. So Peacock, if you're listening, yes, I would love to see Monk the movie too, but I would also love to see Monk meets Psych. Okay? Thanks. So there it is, man. Mr. Monk's last case, definitely, definitely, definitely a nostalgia trip, man. And it it's worth a watch if you've ever been a fan of the TV show. And obviously, you can also get all eight seasons of Monk available to stream right now on Peacock. Now, obviously, to watch the movie, you're going to have to be a Peacock premium subscriber. But Monk is available to watch for free to all peacock subscribers same with the show that used to follow it on usa psych and also all three psych movies are available two and three are peacock exclusives the first one aired on usa uh but yeah man so if you're a fan of monk check out mr monk's last case great story great 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 movie uh if this is goodbye to mr monk a great way to say goodbye to mr monk we are going to move it in now to our final segment of the evening this is the main event and it is going to be for the last time here well actually it's not the last time here this year we're going to talk about this but it is the last time that we're talking about it for the 60th anniversary of doctor who and you know what we got to do when we decide to talk about doctor who and we got to go into the tardis All right, the final part, the third part of the Doctor Who 60th Anniversary Special aired this past Saturday on Disney Plus and BBC alike, The Giggle. Now, obviously, this is the one that I've kind of been waiting for. We finally get introduced to Neil Patrick Harris as the toy maker, and we figure out just what the hell his game is and why he's decided to come back after the Doctor after 57 years years the show opens up exactly where we left our heroes off at in the last episode and that is trying to figure out why the fuck london is exploding and everybody's going crazy and everybody hates each other and then the 
the toy maker, and we don't even know it's the toy maker yet, but the toy maker comes up to the doctor and starts dancing with him in the middle of the street with this like little just you know slow dance kind of thing. And he's wearing like a a full blown just suit. And I'm just like, wow, like we're we're kind of getting into some serious shit here, man, with this version of the toy maker. The you know, the the TARDIS then gets taken away, very similar to the way it did in the 50th anniversary special by unit. And you see, you know, the doctor trying to explain things to unit uh, as to what's going on. Um, and, you know, he realizes he has to go back to 1927, I believe it was, where they were trying to invent the television for the first time. And they used a doll as the very first image that went on a television and the person who is helping the man who invented the television buys the doll from the toy maker. And you just hear this creepy laugh come out of the doll a little bit. And then you find out that this image has been burned into every form of media broadcast that involves video since that day and has slowly been driving the world crazy. So that was the toy maker's way of trying to figure out or trying to get the doctor's attention after all these years. He didn't think it would take so long for this signal to go through, but that was his main ploy, was to try to just make the entire world go crazy. He's starting to succeed by this point. The Doctor and Donna go and meet with the toy maker, and Neil Patrick Harris is pulling off a pitch-perfect freaking German accent and creepy, like... I never in a million years would have thought Neil Patrick Harris could play diabolical as well as he does. Like there were so many moments in this special where he's just giving off Joker vibes. Right. And I've got a picture of Neil Patrick Harris in that suit. And we'll talk and we'll get to that in a minute because, um, you know, obviously I want to praise how well he played this character. So then they realize what's happening. They realize who he is, why, what he's about. The doctor challenges him to one more game. The doctor wins. And then, you know, they're like, well, if you're going to do this, it's got to be best two out of three. They go back into modern times. The doctor then challenges him to a second game, wins again, and then realizes that for the final game, he can't beat him alone. And then they have to bring in another doctor. And before the doctor even has a chance to try to do so, the toy maker shoots him with a laser and starts forcing a regeneration. And the reason why the toy maker did this is because he says, if I'm going to fight the future of this, I want the future of the doctor again, just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And so we start to see the doctor regenerating. And then the regeneration kind of stops and he's looking at Donna and he's looking at Mel, another returning character from doctor who's past. And he starts saying, pull. And as they start to pull, we see Shuti Gatwa start coming out of the side of David Tennant. So now instead of having one doctor, we have two. And for the first time in the 60-year history of Doctor Who, we don't get a regeneration, but a bi-generation. And a bi-generation is pretty much you get not one, but two doctors splitting out of one regeneration. 
And they, both doctors, then challenge the toy maker to one final game. Best of best of three, right? So the game is ball or catch, basically. And this is something that the toy maker was explaining to the doctor that the very first game ever played was the ball. And it'll be the last game ever played by humanity with the last skull of the victor's enemies. And it's very simple. All you have to do is catch the ball. So the doctor throws the ball to the toy maker. The toy maker catches it. The, the toy maker then throws it to, to Shooty, the new doctor. He then throws it to David Tennant. And they're, they're sitting there catching. The first person to drop the ball is the loser. And they do this like amazing like double team move on the toy maker. And he, uh, David Tennant chucks the ball at him. He goes to try to catch it. It goes flying off the unit tower, which looks shockingly like Stark Tower or Avengers Tower. Like, I'm just sitting there. I'm like, but I guess that was, you know, Disney's one piece of input. Um, and the toy maker has been defeated. And David Tennant says, my prize is that you are banished from this plane of existence forever. And you are never allowed to return. But we also found out a secret about the toy maker, which is probably a reason why we haven't seen the master in a while. And that is that he caught the master after the master lost a game to him and put him in a gold tooth. The only thing that was remaining on the tower after the toy maker disappeared forever was his gold tooth. And it wasn't picked up by this doctor. It wasn't picked up by Shooty. It was picked up by a woman. But it wasn't Donna. It wasn't Mel. I don't know who the woman was. We just knew it was a female hand that grabbed down and picked up the tooth. So obviously the master is going to come back into play at some point in the future here as well. Overall, as a whole, the one thing I was worried about was that if this was going to be an hour or so in length, that it was going to be too short. It was an hour and three minutes and it did not disappoint. It was perfect. The way they introduced Shuti as the future of the doctor was perfect. The way that Neil Patrick Harris played the toy maker was perfect. The explanation we get as to why it was David Tennant's face that came back as the 14th regeneration for this doctor was unexpected, but it, it worked and it fit. And the way that Shuti explained it, it it's just so perfect. Not only was this kind of an ending for what we have seen in the past for Doctor Who and the start of a new story and a new beginning of Doctor Who, but it was also a way to sit there and say that all of the things that this that the Doctor has been so guilty of over the years, the Time War, the Daleks, Rose, Amy, everything river all of it that it's okay and that he can let go now and then he can rest that it's time for somebody else to take over as the doctor 
which is why it was a bi-generation instead of a regeneration. So that the doctor can thank the doctor for everything that he's done and say that it is time for you to let go. So now the doctor gets to spend the rest of his life with Donna Noble and her family. Very similar to the way that the mortal version of the 10th doctor got to spend the rest of his life with Rose. And there's a great scene at the end of the special where you see uh, Donna and her family with the doctor eating. And you kind of hear that, that Rose and the doctor have been kind of going on some adventures behind some people's backs. <laughs> Uh, in the TARDIS, because the Doctor does have his own version of the TARDIS. They were able to bi-generate the TARDIS as well. And not because, you know, the TARDIS needed to bi-generate because of what happened between the, doc the two versions of the Doctor. But because they won the game and that there was, they were still a little bit of that game energy floating around. And that, you know, since the Doctor won, each one of them gets their own prize. And the prize for the other Doctor was his own version of the TARDIS. But this was just a great way, a, a perfect way, in my opinion, to end the 60th anniversary, to usher in a brand new era of Doctor Who, to say goodbye to David Tennant, to say goodbye to all of those versions of the Doctor that have been before him, and to bring in this new version of Doctor Who that Russell T. Davies wants to introduce. And it was so emotional. For, I mean, you know, me being a, a big Doctor Who fan, it was such an emotional ending for it. And, you know, they they basically have said David Tennant's done now. You know, there's really no reason for him to come back. They've ended that storyline. You know, no nothing nothing more needed from them. However, I do kind of think that they should bring more of the past doctors back for the 70th anniversary. I, I would even be okay with them bringing Jodie Whittaker's doctor back. As long as Chris Chibnall's not writing it, they can do whatever the fuck they want with that 13th doctor. I didn't have a problem with the 13th doctor. It's just he was written some horrible stories. But let's talk about how great Neil Patrick Harris was as the toy maker here. So there in that top picture there, there is Neil Patrick Harris in that, in that uh, modern time scene where he's right before he, he goes and tries to dance with the doctor in the street. I saw that image and I had to pause the episode and I sat there and I looked at my wife and I'm like, that is giving me massive Jack Nicholson Joker vibes. I mean, look at that. Look at that. That is like without the white face paint, that is almost a dead ringer for the fucking Joker, man. That is creepy as fuck. And the way that he was playing this character was phenomenal. I never pictured Neil Patrick Harris in a villainous role or as villainous as he got with playing the toy maker. It was brilliant. But not only that, but they played a lot to Neil Patrick Harris's strengths given his ties to theater and things like that. And then underneath is what we have is what he looked like throughout most of the episode and things like that. You know, it, I believe that's in his toy store, actually, Mr. Emporium. Um, 
but the German accent, everything that he did, he was funny when he needed to be. He was diabolical when he needed to be. And he was just a dead on ringer for the toy maker that we knew from the past. And that's another thing that they did. They actually put the, the MPH toy maker and the original toy maker from season three of Doctor Who, you know, kind of did like a, a flash thing showing him, then showing the original. They are dead ringers for each other. Like Neil Patrick Harris could pull off an older version of that character. And I mean, he's had 57 years to advance and evolve and everything like that. So just brilliant with the way that they did this. And for me, the best thing about the whole special was the dance scene that Neil Patrick Harris does in unit headquarters. Like they're sitting there and the doctor's sitting there and he's trying to explain what's going on and what they need to look for and everything like that. And then all of a sudden you just start hearing Spice Girls spice up your life playing in the background. And the leader of unit is kind of just like, will you shut that shit off? Like, what is going on? And all of a sudden, it just gets way louder and out jumps the toy maker. And he's like lip syncing to the song. And he's doing like this little rumba dance and things like that. He starts dancing with Kate and, you know, knocks her out. He grabs uh, Mel, knocks her out. Um, and then all the unit soldiers are start rushing in and they got their guns drawn on him. All he does is. And then all of a sudden, all the bullets turn into uh, rose petals, and they're just there's just rose petals flying everywhere like they're fucking confetti. And like Cage just continues to give the order to fire, and the doctor sitting here saying like, "Are you people blind? This shit ain't working. Just stop." And then you see Neil Patrick Harris just sitting there, you know, again, still lip syncing, still singing, but he's doing fucking snow angels in the in the rose petals. And you know, as the song ends. You know, he goes, I see you good, you know, um, or however they end that song, see ya. And he just disappears under the floor and you hear, uh, uh, and I'm like, oh my God. Brilliant. Just brilliant. Like it was just so good. Neil Patrick Harris shocked me as this. And when I heard that he was being cast, I'm just like, you know what? I could see him. I could see him as a master, but as the toy maker, Knowing how diabolical and how evil this character could be, I did not know if Neil Patrick Harris could pull it off. And he's shocked the hell out of me. He shined as the toy maker. And I actually think he might have stolen a lot of the shine out of this episode until Shooty showed up. But that, to me, was how good Neil Patrick Harris was as the, the toy maker. And if you're not a Doctor Who fan, I would still give this special a watch just to see how great he is as the villain in this. It was, oof. Mm. And like I said, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an MPH fan, man. Like, I'll, I'll be the, one of the first ones to admit it. As a little kid watching Doogie Howser MD because he was around the same age, you know, he was a, like a little bit older than me at the, during that time. I'm just like, okay, cool. So a kid could be a doctor? Like, you know delusions of grandeur back when i was like seven eight years old but <laughs> um obviously i did not become a doctor and i knew i don't want to become a doctor um but anyway um i just remember him from that and then when he took over for um shit i can't remember his name now and it was just in my head like 20 seconds ago but when he took over playing Mark, 
in Rent on Broadway. You know, I was kind of skeptical about it, but then I heard him sing some of the songs that Mark is famous for from that. And I'm just like, got it. You know, and just knowing that he has an, you know, a fascination with musical theater and, you know, he's won Tony's and things like that for things that he's done on Broadway. So, hey, more power to you, MPH. Uh, You know, obviously, How I Met Your Mother. And a lot of the other things that he has done, God, man, like every time I look at that picture of him in that, in that tuxedo, man, still gives me vibes, man. Still gives me vibes, but I love every second of it. Um, but just, just seeing it and just knowing that that's, you know, one of the things that we, uh, that we got for this final thing and, Everybody is is praising how great he was as the toy maker and that he shined in that episode. But a lot of the other things that people are um, praising is the performance by Shuti Gatwa as well as the new iteration of the Doctor. Here in the picture that's behind me, we see them bi-generating. And then underneath that is Shuti in his version of this very TARDIS that we're in right now with a jukebox and no pants. Uh, that was kind of one of the craziest things about it. When, when Shuti appeared as, uh, as the next doctor was, um, they're kind of splitting clothes (laughs) if you notice, but obviously Shuti is getting the same shirt that he's wearing, but he has the tie. David Tennant has the vest and the pants but Shuti also got the shoes. Like if you see there, he's wearing the Converse's in the picture in the TARDIS. Uh, so David Tennant's shoeless and sockless. Shuti's pantless, but he's wearing boxer briefs. So like it, it would like the the by generation was like one of the craziest things I've ever seen. But I loved every second of it, and just the way that that Shuti was sharing the energy that David Tennant was putting on screen, especially during the final battle with the toy maker it was just so great to see because you just see you see david Tennant. he's just sitting there going you know what just happened why you know why did that that particular thing happen instead of this other thing and then you just see shooty go by generation and then david Tennant goes and it's you know like just the, the way that they were on on screen with each other it was great you know i i didn't know what to think about Shuti coming on, not because of race or anything like that, but just because, you know, I question every p- person that takes over the doctor after the, the last one leaves. You get so used to seeing these characters as the doctor, especially if they play multiple seasons like David Tennant did, like Matt Smith did, like Peter Capaldi did. Then you start to, you know, you're like, well, I mean, is the next guy going to be as good as him? You know, and then when they introduced Jody, I was really excited about her coming on and playing the doctor. And like I said, I, I liked her as the doctor. I just thought the writing was bad. And then when we see her regenerate into David Tennant, you're like, and then we got word that Shuti was coming on. And I wanted to see him in action as the doctor before I was going to make any kind of an opinion. And I like what they're doing with this. You know, he's saying, I'm a new version of the doctor. And obviously, there's going to be some changes. 
But Shuti did a, a great job in the 60th anniversary where he was introduced. You know, he he said goodbye to the past, and he's just like, it's my turn to take over now. You've done your part. Thank you for everything that you've done. And now we move on into a new generation of the Doctor, and I'm super excited that it's Shuti. I can't wait to see what Shuti is going to accomplish as the Doctor. And Russell T. Davies has already given us a, you know, a warning that Doctor Who is not going to be strictly sci-fi anymore after this. They are going to move on into more sci-fi or uh, fantasy stories as well. And again, I don't have an issue with this. I think it's going to be, you know, in, a great way to do it. And for anybody that's sitting there saying, well, Doctor Who's a fucking sci-fi show and they shouldn't be getting off fantasy. Not my Doctor Who. Okay. A lot of these people that I'm hearing this from, especially in my personal life, they're also Star Trek fans. How many times has Star Trek done something other than sci-fi and done it under the guise of a science fiction show? You got to remember, they did a whole episode where Picard was stuck in the 1930s in a 1930s film noir episode. They had Moriarty escape from the holodeck and take data pretending to be Sherlock Holmes on a on a pretty interesting adventure as well. Just because a show is labeled as a science fiction show does not mean that they need to stick to the guise of science fiction every time. Science fiction includes fantasy. And there's no reason why they can't do, you know, a story like this. It is a fantasy show. The last word of science is fiction. And science fiction has kind of fallen under this realm where it has to be aliens and it has to be this and it has to be that. When in reality, you know, broadswords existed. The dark, the, you know, the dark ages happened. Medieval times did happen. We have evidence of it everywhere. So you can say that that could be under the realm of a science fiction banner. Not saying that it is. Again, this is just my opinion on things. But the argument could be made and I'm excited to see what they're going to do with this next uh, season of Dr. Who. But before we get to that next season of Dr. Who, we are getting the Christmas special on Christmas day. I have yet to see any kind of announcement of what time it's going to be, but if history serves, it'll probably be around 7 PM here. Now, whether that'll be 7 PM in England, I don't know. Um, but generally in the past, when they, when these have been on BBC America, which I don't know if they're still going to be now, I haven't heard whether or not this is actually going to be on BBC America or not, or if it's going to be Disney Plus exclusive the way the, seven, the 60th anniversary stuff was. But here we have Shooty and Millie, your next doctor and companion. And they are stuck on a pirate ship that is piloted by gremlins or goblins is what they said. I just said gremlins because the word popped in my head. 
So that is what our adventure is going to be. These two being introduced to each other, fighting pirate goblins in a ship that flies. So again, here we go. There's a little bit of science fiction still in it. The trailer looks amazing for the Christmas special. I can't wait to see it. And, you know, like I said, we'll be back the 27th to talk about it. But I'm super excited for the Christmas special. Can't wait to see what they bring into it. And I'll have more of an idea of what I think the season's going to look like once I see the Christmas special. Um, so we'll talk more about that when we come back for the Christmas special on the 27th. But my friends, my comrades, everyone here that is, has watched the show this week, thank you so much for doing so. As always, it has been a great adventure here with you all this past, this week. I want to thank everybody who's been checking out the show recently. Obviously, you can do that either here, right here on Facebook, or you can go over to the Money's Crazy Mind YouTube channel and check the show out there. Or if you want to check out audio only, you can always check it out in all those premium podcasting locations that we mentioned earlier in the show. Uh, no show next week, but we will be back two days after Christmas discussing the Doctor Who Christmas special. And then we will move forward on when we will be back after that. Um, so if you haven't checked out Mr. Monk's last case on Peacock, go ahead and check that out. Obviously, keep watching Monday Night Raw and AEW and Impact Wrestling and ROH and all the wrestling that's out there that you might be a fan of because you never know what might happen to those companies in the future. You may not be able to watch them anymore. Think about that. Look at where ECW and WCW are right now. Replays on the WWE Network. And of course, you can always check out the Doctor Who 60th Anniversary Specials. All three parts are available to stream right now over on the Plus of Disney. With all that said, trying to stay hydrated, man. Had food poisoning this past week, and I'm still recovering from it. So, But anyway, with that said, everybody have a great rest of the week. We are heading into the weekend, and until next time I am with you, have a week. Money's Crazy Mind is proud to be the exclusive flagship broadcast of Nameless Faceless Productions. That's all, folks. Yes.